Hey, welcome to the BK Show podcast. This is episode number 24. And if you've listened to any of the other 23 episodes, you've likely heard me utter this guest's name, or even one of my guests has mentioned his name as well. I actually met over half of the people I've interviewed so far in today's guest's mastermind. So today's guest is George Bryant. Uh, he has single-handedly changed the trajectory of my life in the last couple of years. I, I wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for this man, if it wasn't for this guy's mastermind, if it wasn't for the people he's introduced me to. And so I'm eternally grateful that he was uh, willing to come on the show and talk through some of the things that, that we learned together and, and really learn a bit about George's story. I know you're going to love this episode. Uh, download it right away because you're going to want to refer back to it. We dive into George's seven principles, uh, seven laws of marketing at the end of the show and have him explain them and have me explain what I learned from them. Uh, I really, really think you're going to like this show. So please welcome to the podcast, George Bryant. George Bryant, welcome to the show, buddy. I'm so stoked to be here, man. I think you've had a, a, an impact on on this show, whether you know it or not. I actually have notes of like all the people on here. And I'll, I'll kind of go through that later, but like half my show is from people you introduced me to, which I think is incredible. And so it was about time I had you on here. And so just to give like a little preface, you've worked with companies like Adidas, Titleist, KitchenAid, Vital Proteins, Women's Health, Men's Health, uh, a bunch more. But I. I'm not sure I know the story of how you got here. I think I know a little bit. Um, certainly, I listened to a couple podcasts this morning that I think do a pretty good job of telling your story. But I'd love for you to like at least you know give the listener the background of who George Bryan is. So like even understanding how we got to you working with companies like Adidas and Titleist. Totally. Yeah, I would I would love it, and I love it with you. I mean, we've known each other for a couple of years now, so this is like amazing, and we've worked together. So yeah, so I got here by accident, and I think that's a really important thing to talk about. And so I say that I got here with the result of working with those companies by accident, but by intentionally focusing on what mattered to me and not getting off of it. And so, you know, when I started as an entrepreneur, like I even became an entrepreneur's accident, right? So if we get into my childhood later, it's great, but you know, like broken home, drug abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. So the fastest path out for me was to join the military. I was like, where can I go? That gets me out of one abusive relationship, but puts me in another one. Um, they just reward me for abusing me, right? And so that's why the military came in. And so I joined the Marine Corps. And so the Marine Corps was amazing uh, because it basically wouldn't let me quit, right? No matter what, no matter how hard it was, no matter you know how upset I was or anything, um, it just let me keep going. And I was like, okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. And, and I I understood and learned a lot in the military, you know, deployments and death and, you know, discipline and a lot of different things. And I was planning on spending 30 years of my life in the military, retiring and handing out smiley face stickers at Walmart. Like that was my goal. That was my mission in life. That was what was happening, living from trauma. And at year 12, they were like, hey, you're a little bit too broken. And I was like, no, I'm good. Right. And I'd went through surgery, almost losing my legs, you know, multiple concussions, post-traumatic stress disorder. And they're like, we're going to separate you. And I got scared in that moment, but I was lucky enough in Afghanistan to realize that I didn't like the path I was going down. I'd lost my dad to cancer. I didn't really have anything to live for, but I didn't want to die either. And it's a really interesting place to be where I didn't want to just be like, I didn't want to just exist. I wanted to do something with my life. And I was like, I know better. Like I lied to myself and said, I'm never going to end up like my parents. I'm never going to end up an addict. Well, I did. I just changed the medium, right? It wasn't heroin. It was food. It wasn't cocaine. It was working out. And I had to get really honest with myself. And I was like, I'm going to take care of myself. Like I'm going to break these patterns. I'm not, I'm going to beat my bulimia. I'm going to beat all this stuff. So when I was in Afghanistan, I read a book called the original human diet by Rob Wolf. I found it by accident. And I was like, 
this makes sense to me. Like it was so simple, but also just regimented enough to give me a container to focus on. And so I was like, I'm going to eat clean, but I was in Afghanistan. I couldn't really eat that well. And so I was like, when I get home, I'm going to teach myself how to cook. I've never cooked before. And so I get home (laughs) and I was like, okay, I'm going to learn how to cook. And so I went on the internet and I found all these paleo recipes, which back in 2010, there weren't that many of them. And I was like, I'm just going to make one recipe a day until I have it memorized. And I was like, yeah, but I need accountability, right? Like the Marine Corps is kicking me out. I don't have a tribe. I don't have any of that. And I was like, I'm just going to post on Facebook every day. And I was like, okay, well, I need a Facebook account. Well, guess what? I didn't go to college, so I couldn't get a Facebook account in 2010. So I had to make a fake college email and then get a Facebook account. And so I started just posting every day. I was like, hey, made this recipe. And I didn't even care. I didn't care who his friends was. I just needed accountability. And so I continued that for like four months. I just posted every day, made this recipe, ate it, made this recipe, ate it. And at that point, the military is like, hey, you have about, you know, three months left. You know, this is when we're looking and getting out. And somebody at that point was like, hey, man, you should post all these on like a Facebook page because it's hard to keep up with used to notes section. So I basically started posting them in the notes section, writing like a mini blog post every day. And then about two months later, someone's like, hey, man, you need a blog. And I'm like, what's a blog? This is 2010. And they're like, oh, well, you go to blogger.com and then you sign up for a blog. And so I was like, cool. And I'll never forget. I went and signed up for blogger.com and it was like, you need a name. And I was like, a name? Like, what is this? And then I was looking at everybody like Rob Wolf and Mark Sisson at the time had, you know, like his primal caveman. And then there were these grok websites. And I was like, I'm going to be a caveman. And I couldn't, everything good was taken. And so I was like, I'll be the civilized caveman. And that's where I came up with the name. And so I named the blog civilizedcavemancooking.blogspot.com. I took all the notes on Facebook and I moved them over to the blog and I just kept posting every day. So accidentally, I basically became a food blogger and I just continued. And lo and behold, after I learned how to cook, it was really easy to start making my own recipes, right? Like I take this, I take this, I remove something, I add something and I started making things for my taste. And I was just talking about like how I'm learning how to cook, like how I want to be healthy again you know, how I'm posting these to hold myself accountable. And, you know, the two people that were friends of me went to the 30 people that were friends of me went to strangers, just kind of finding this blog. And in like a seven month period, it went from nobody reading it to like 5,000 people a month, which at the time I was like, holy moly, I don't know 5,000 people. And then the military was like, hey man, you're done. Like you're out. And so they discharged me um, in 2013, June of 2013. And I'd saved enough money from deployments that I didn't have to work for about a year. Like I'd be fine not working. And my gut was like, keep doing this. Like I felt good. I had energy and really it was helping me heal. And so I just kept posting. And about four months later, someone was like, Hey man, I really wish it was easier to make all of your recipes. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, uh, if you save them all in like an ebook, it would just be a lot easier. I'm like, what's an ebook? And they're like, well, you save all your recipes, you put them in like a document, then you give it to us. So I literally spent like a week copying and pasting, copying and pasting into a Word document. And then I emailed the person who asked me, I was like, here's the Word document. He's like, no, 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 I want to pay you. Like, why would you pay me? And he's like, because it's convenient. You should upload it to this website called ClickBank. And I was like, what do I do? He's like, save it as a PDF because I didn't even know how to do that back then. And he's like, and then upload it to this website, give it a price, and then do a post on your website telling people that you made it. And I was like, cool. And so I did all that and I posted it and I asked him what I should charge. And he just said 27 bucks. That's what I see people charge for eBooks. So this was like the beginning of 2011. 
I upload it. I literally did like two social media posts before there was an algorithm, by the way. So at that time, Facebook was timeline based. So basically everything I posted, everybody saw. And then I um, wrote an email to my email list, which was maybe like 900 people. And I did a full blog post on it. And I assumed like a couple thousand people would read it. And I'll never forget because the first day I made my monthly salary as a Marine with a $27 ebook on ClickBank. I made like four grand. And then the second day, I thought it was broken, right? Because I didn't know how this worked. I didn't know what account transfers were. I didn't know what wires were. Like I was a direct deposit dude my whole life for 12 years. And then the next day, I made eight grand. And I literally called ClickBank. And I was like, guys, I think there's something wrong. These numbers aren't making sense. This is broken. Like I don't want you to send me money that's not mine. And they're like, no, sir. Like people are buying this thing. And then the th- by like week one, the end of week one, I had made my yearly salary as a Marine. I'd made like $45,000 all with just three organic posts. And at that point I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I got to figure this out. Like I'm in. And so that kind of became my tilt to like, I'm just going to become a food blogger. And so as I started, I didn't read books. I didn't go to school. I didn't take courses. I just paid attention and I would ask my audience like what they would want and then I would make it. And then I would just pay attention to what was happening. And so I consistently posted every day um, and then I would ask them and then I would listen, create it and sell it. And so that ebook went on to generate over a million dollars in sales in my first ever digital product. And this was 2011, 2012, uh, no, 2013, 2014. And at that point, Um, you know, it started to grow. My social started to grow. I started an Instagram and I just basically started documenting my journey. And as I kept going, I started talking more about other things than food, like habits and fitness and nutrition started, you know, doing affiliate marketing and being like, Hey, you should use this product or this supplement. And before you knew it, I was running my first seven figure business by accident. And that continued, um, ended up writing a book, became a 22 week New York times bestseller, launched an app hit number one in the world in 2015 featured by Apple's the top health app of 2015, you know, got about a half a million followers aggregate across three social platforms and was getting about 4 million uniques a month without knowing anything about SEO. And I was just consistent and, and really, I have, I have so many questions. I'm going to start number one. Like when did you actually learn, Hey, maybe I shouldn't be on civilized caveman dot blogger or blogspot.com and actually moved to it a took year, a three year it took three years uh, that's hilarious. and so let me let me like, so you'll appreciate this from an seo perspective so the first domain when i made my first like six figures was still civilized caveman cooking dot blogspot.com nice. nice. and then i had somebody be like you should probably just make this your domain i didn't even know on blogger i could make my own domain so then i moved it to civilized caveman cooking.com and I stayed at Civilized Caveman Cooking for six years before I just dropped the cooking and made it Civilized Caveman. So it was somewhat easy to spell. But yeah, man, I did everything wrong. Everything. Like I didn't do one thing right except the thing that mattered, which was be consistent and show up every day. Yeah, but I think that's that's the important lesson to learn. That you don't need to know everything. But it's weird no. how there's like in every market, there's a, a right way you should do things and a wrong, right? So we were talking Bitcoin before this call. You yeah. can go buy it on Robinhood, but you don't actually own the Bitcoin, right? Yes. And so you can buy it on Coinbase, but then you're paying Coinbase's fees and pro.coinbase.com you can buy without the fees which makes zero sense right but the beginner is going to go to Robinhood and just buy bitcoin or same with you the beginner is going to go to blogspot.com or blogger.com or wordpress.com which is so fucking weird that you should have wordpress.org and not wordpress.com and Mm -hmm. and have like you know your long name dot wordpress and have somebody else own your stuff and like I, i never understood why there's such a path there but it's hilarious that you took that path of i did most resistance and then figured it out like along the way uh 
I don't know. That's one of my favorite parts of your journey is like, you didn't really know what the fuck you were doing yet. You still had this marketing brain that could come up with like, you're the king of ideas. I hope by the end of yeah. the show, we can get to a business I've been dreaming about and like, just yeah. have you spout off ideas. Cause that's, I love it. that's where you shine. Yeah. Uh, and so like, yeah, uh, number two question. I had Nick Coates on last week. Um, yeah, was, he at, was he at ClickBank when you started your product there? Is that how you met? He Nick? actually was, but I didn't know him. Like Nick and I connected years later when he was out of ClickBank. And then we realized like literally we were so close to connecting years prior. And then it took four years until we ended up friends. Another genius. I I just imagine being in the room with you two of like him spouting off ideas, you spouting off like your ideas are out there. Right. And then Nick seems like the guy who could put it all together and be like, we're going to do all this right now. Oh, dude, when I went to Boise, so I used to go to Boise like once a month just to hang out with Nick and Cam. And we, he had like this 20 foot whiteboard in his office and we would get into the office at 6 a.m. And it would be midnight. We would still be there. There wouldn't be employees that would come and go. We didn't even realize. And we would fill this entire whiteboard with sticky notes and Sharpie. I mean, like markers and plans and funnels and cut. Like it was disgusting. Like there was one time we sat down we designed a many chat sequence for like seven hours and then sat down and built it together. And it probably had 800 steps. It was like literally a year's worth of work. <laughs> like one day, it was insane. Well, you plan for every outcome and I hope we can get to that a little bit later, but like, yeah, the, the first time you ever showed me like the option somebody could take uh, on an e-commerce website, you know, you mentioned it and I'm like, I think I know all the steps someone could take. Nope. You literally outline every step they could take in the action that's going to happen after everyone. And it was very, very in depth. There was a lot of steps there. And uh, yeah, it was, it was way deeper thinking than I had allowed myself to think. Look, I, I do want to share your story though. Right. So you like your, your cooking recipes. I have a question on that. Like uh, are recipes copyrighted. I've, I've always thought, no, why? no, it's such a good question. It's such a good question. So here's the, here's the crazy thing about recipes. So when you're in the industry, you have best practices, right? And so if you take a recipe and you don't really change it, you just say recipe buy and you give credit, but you can post them, right? So legally, the only thing that can be copyrighted is the specific instructions because ingredients are universal, right? Like a pound cake is a pound of sugar, pound of flour, you know, pound of milk, no matter what you do, you can't copyright that. It's the language in which the recipe is assembled that is copyrighted, right? So if you copy somebody's specific process, like word for word, that's copyrightable plus their images are. But the rules were like, if I was using your recipe and I made it, I would make it in my process following your steps, but I would write the guidance, but I would be like, this is a recipe by Ben. And then if I changed two or more ingredients, it would be inspired by, right? Or, um, you know, kind of like created by or with, and then if you get to the point where like you're changing four or more ingredients, it's not the same recipe anymore. And so then it basically becomes kind of your version of that. And so best practice, people rip them off all the time. But yeah, I, I told everybody, I was like, if you think I'm stealing your recipe and you think you're the person who came up with pound cake, like you need to go read some history books, right? Like sourdough bread's been around for like, I don't know, a couple thousand years. And so no matter what, there's only three ingredients that go in it. And so I always played above brow and I always liked putting my unique spin on it. But you know, what's funny is the fact that I didn't steal like in the beginning one of the reasons my blog got so successful is because like i aggressively tagged everybody that i was using so i would write i wouldn't be like inspired by like i would write a whole paragraph of why i loved their recipe and then byproduct they shared it and sent people to my website and then i would tag them on social i'm like guys i got this recipe i made it from ben ben is the bomb i actually learned how to cook with ben ben thank you for sharing this like i made some tweaks to it and I ended up with bloggers, ended up remaking my versions of theirs. And so like I got all this earned traffic by actually just caring about people. 
But I know if, if I learned one thing from you is we all get in our own way, right? It's all mental bullshit that holds us back. It's not, a, as you like to say, no one has a marketing problem. They Nobody. have a relationship problem, right? Yeah. And so there, I know there's someone listening to this who's like, man, I love to cook, but all these recipes have been done before. Who am I to just aggregate all of these recipes together and, and fill myself making them and put them in a book or put them on my website? And so I, I've been curious of the same thing of like all recipes are out there nobody's inventing anything new perhaps maybe in the paleo space or the keto space they're they're finding new ingredients to like sub in there right yeah. uh and so I, i'm genuinely curious like how, how you got away with that and i love that you explained it in the most george way possible of like i just gave credit where credit was due and then you know uh, i didn't I mean, expect like, I anything in return I didn't mean to cut you off. I see it in every every industry too. Like I look at the fitness industry, all these people selling like bodyweight workouts. I'm like, are you all giving Jack LaLanne credit? Right? Like you want to talk about like the OG that documented like bodyweight fitness. Like that dude looked like he was on roids like 80 years ago and people didn't even know they were a thing, right? But this dude was doing like chair dips and like he basically created jazzercise without the dancing, right? And I'm like, we see all these people, but like, when I look at it, I think one of the biggest gifts that I had is because I didn't come into this, like at any part of it of like, this is what it's supposed to look like, or this is what somebody said. And I was like, I'm just the messenger of the message, right? Like, and that's actually one of the biggest secrets to succeeding as an entrepreneur is that you're never the solution. You might have a modality or a set of steps or a process. You're just delivering the solution, but you're the messenger. And so like, when I think about it, like all this stuff, like all this digital content world, none of us are original creators, like very rarely, like you look at it like, oh, it's in this three-step model. I'm like, well, Simon Bowen invented that and Simon learned it from here. Well, it was this thing from, you know, indistractable near IL, but he's using psychology and framing it into his language. And so, you know, when we think about this, as long as you play this game the right way, like you understand that, like if you create something original, great, market, label it, do whatever you want and let that come. Like, let the originality come through the practice and the practice and the practice, then give credit to where it was came, came from and how it was created. And what's funny is like, you'll actually make more money by crediting the original people because you elevate your social status by associating yourself with the person who created it. Like Donald Miller and StoryBrand is a perfect example. Like, I have so many people like, I'm Donald Miller StoryBrand. I'm like, I'll let my friends hire you. Right. Like Donald's not over here. Like I created, he's like, let me teach you how to do it. Mike Michalowicz is another one. Here's the profit first model. Here's the clockwork model. And I just think it's really imperative that like you said this, but I got lucky that I had to succeed and I was really stubborn and I thought I could do it all myself. But what that allowed me was to figure out the MVP, the minimum viable product and all I had to do was be in a relationship with the people that were paying me money. And I just thought this was really simple when I started in e-commerce and as an entrepreneur. If the people that are paying me money I have access to, why would I go read a book or take somebody's course or get a piece of advice on what I should build from them instead of just asking them what they want? And so I would ask them and like, I literally like my first four products were literally like, what do you want? So I was like, you know what? Like everybody's using crockpots. Will you make us a crockpot product? Sure. What do you need? They're like, ah, oh, we'd love it if it was like under 15 minutes, like simple ingredients. And I was like, sure. And then literally all I did was go through my website and I had maybe 80% of it. I wrote an intro, talked about the differences of crock pots, recorded three videos, and it was a $197 course. And then there was another 250 grand. And it was like that on repeat over and over and over again. And it's like, you know, crockpot doesn't get mad at me right? It's just a tool. I'm helping people use it. I would use other people's recipes. And if I was selling it, I would reach out like, Hey, listen, 
I want to use your recipes. I'm putting together this product. Is it okay if I use your recipes in my product? I will mention you. I will link to you. No one ever said no, ever, ever. And so like that was a way that I won. Like I would never steal or give credit. And I would be like, I did not make this recipe. But like you think about all the fitness coaches, right? They're giving out other people's recipes and prescribing them to people to do with their workouts and things like that. And you're giving credit. And I feel like as long as you play this game with relationships and, and you take the easy path, right? The easy path is give credit, like work with people, collaborate, not compete. It's almost like a, it's an unlosable game. Help me understand the transition at the next step there, right? So I, I know, uh, certainly I was in your mastermind, right? I heard you talk a lot about uh, how you became a New York Times bestseller. I know yeah. how you got your app to the number one in Apple. Uh, I think someday, you sh- if you haven't already on your podcast, which by the way, check out his podcast, mindofgeorge.com. It's literally all the marketing lessons I would love to teach you uh, <laughs> that I learned from him. And so go listen to that. But like, if you haven't done a podcast on both of those scenarios on how you pulled that off, you should because both of those stuck with me really, really well. Sp- specifically, uh, the book, uh, I believe you outlined a, a different book, and I, I don't want to say who, but you outlined a different book on the last day of the mastermind. Half the people already left, which was really weird. Uh, they missed out on this, like, uh, just gem of an idea. Uh, and, and now I've flipped that and implemented it in e commerce businesses, and uh, it's really, really smart. So if you haven't explained that, go explain that on your podcast because I think that's incredible. But where's the shift from, from civilized caveman to running a mastermind to speaking on stages, right? I saw you at Ryan Moran's brand builder summit, which I don't think he's done since if, if he hasn't Ryan, if you're listening, you're not, if you're listening, uh, do another one. That was awesome. Uh, that was seriously one of the best conferences I've been to, but how did you go from civilized caveman to speaking on stages to having a mastermind to being the self-proclaimed highest paid digital consultant, uh, in the world? Like walk me through that transition. Cause what you did with civilized caveman is cool. Uh, but how did you, how did you earn the respect of the rest of the marketing community? Yeah. So this, I wish this was like one of those unicorn and rainbow stories and it's not, um, it came through pain. And the reason being is I did, I ran caveman to avoid feeling right. To be disconnected, like to prove my value and worth. And so when I succeeded at like the things that I thought were important to me, right. Like becoming a New York times bestseller, right. Uh, none of it mattered. Like I actually was more miserable after it came because I was so empty and I was literally living on the social media dopamine and the books and the sales and even the money, right? Like, and, and I would burn it all out because I was so unhappy. I was trying to use entrepreneurship to distract myself from feeling instead of using entrepreneurship to explore my feelings and actually do something with them and get to this point of like, you know, self-acceptance and self-actualization and like being a human being, right? And so entrepreneurship became my new addiction. And the worst part was, is I was rewarded for it. Like the more I worked, the more I was rewarded. The more I was addicted to social media, the more attention I got, right? The more I leaned in and worked, outworked everybody, the more books I sold. And so it was this really dangerous trap. And what it actually took was my wife. And uh, it took my wife leaving me three times. And then my wife being eight months pregnant with my son and me being three weeks away from bankruptcy to really wake up. And so at some point after the book came out, I realized I really didn't like cooking. Like I hated it. What I liked is I liked learning to heal my bulimia. And I did. I overcame my eating disorder. I was in the best shape of my life. And I actually felt good. But I never really enjoyed cooking. I didn't enjoy food blogging. And so for about three years, I continued to do it while hating it. And I basically started to resent the business. 
And I was just lying to myself instead of being like, oh, I should hire somebody to make recipes or I should buy. And then that's where the naivety of like, I can do this myself really came in. I didn't have any coaches. I didn't have any mentors. I didn't surround myself with people or even know what I wanted it to look like. And so I stayed in this echo chamber and it was all self-sabotage. And so every time I had a feeling, I could react on it or act on it because nobody was holding me accountable. And it got to the point where I took the seven-figure business and then I would start losing money every month because I would like throw money at this or throw money at this, but it was all missing the core. And so I basically started to break myself uh, without realizing it. And I broke myself so much that I wasn't going to quit, but I had everybody else in my life be like, if you don't stop, like we're gone. And um, that was my way of screaming for help at the time. And so what ended up happening was I got a phone call from a very dear friend and I'm going to keep the names out of this, but you would know, everyone listening would know every single person in this room. And he's like, I need you to come to this mastermind. And I was like, why? He's like, I miss you and I just want to see you. Drive up, it's two days, it's two hours from your house. And I was like, cool. And I never, I'm sitting in this room full of people and combined revenue was probably close to a billion dollars between the 20 of these people in the room. People I'd idolized, looked up to. And I was literally like, why the F am I in this room? Like, why am I here? And I was like literally molting with imposter syndrome. And everybody's doing introductions and everyone's like talking about their business. Like, how is it? And they're like, oh, I just made a million dollars last week. And I just did this and I changed the world. And they got to me and I was like, I'm miserable. I'm depressed. I'm struggling with suicidal tendencies. My wife's eight months pregnant. I'm about to go bankrupt. And I hate everything that I do. And that was how I answered the question. And it was the first time I was honest with anybody. Like I didn't want to be an influencer. Social media was killing me, right? Like I felt like a slave to Instagram and I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know what was next. And I was so tired and I felt so defeated that all I could do is be honest. And so like the veil got ripped away. Like I wasn't the happy guy you saw on Instagram. I wasn't the guy that was like pumping everybody up like I was, but I was doing it to hide. And so I'll never forget. I basically said it all and everybody was like, okay, okay. And nobody gave me any attention for it whatsoever. They like heard me and then it went on to the next and on to the next and on to that. And I was like, where's my attention? Like, where are you going to tell me? Like, and it was like, welcome to the big boys club for me of like, that's how you feel. Great. Everybody knows how you feel. Now, what are you going to do? And so I participated in this whole room. And then the next day, somebody asked a question about Facebook and very much like the book launch strategy or the app strategy. I was like, guys, you cannot do it like that. And they're like, well, how would you do it? I was like, can I just teach this to you guys? And so they were like, yeah. So I came up in front of the room. And at the time, I had 275,000 Facebook fans that I organically built after the algorithm was broken. And I was like, okay, stop doing this. Stop doing this and do this. And I mapped this out for like 45 minutes. And I was like, everyone's like, holy moly. How'd you learn that? I'm like, well, this is how I built the page and blah, 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 blah. And one person came up to me and like, can I hire you to do this? And I was like, why would you pay me? I just gave it to you. And they're like, well, we just want you to teach our team. I'm like, you'll pay me for my brain. They're like, no, no, we do, we don't, you don't have to build anything. You don't have to do anything. We want you to teach. And they're like, have you ever thought about consulting? And I was like, what's that? They're basically, you teach people what you've done and what you know. And I was like, no. And so of the 20 people in the room, I ended up working with about 18 of them and 18 of like my heroes, basically. And all I did was come in and they told me their problem. And I used that crazy idea brain. I was like, this is how I did it. This is how I did email. This is how, and I started sharing what had created all these results. And they were like, nobody does this. This is insane. Like, where'd you come up with this? I was like, I just came up with it. Like it, it worked for me. This is what I figured out. And so I started teaching it and teaching it. And, and when you hit the people that I hit, 
people start to talk. And so that led to me keynoting an event. Somebody in the room asked me to keynote. That keynote led to Men's Health hiring me. Men's Health led to everybody that I had worked with. And this is to go back to relationships. And this is why the transition matters. You know, I talk about how relationships beat algorithms, but like, I believe in people. Like you and I will be friends for the rest of our lives, no matter what happens. Like it'll always be there. I'll always have your number. Like that's what I believe in. And the one thing that I give myself credit for is even when I was in caveman, like every time a company would reach out to me, I never took an affiliate percentage. They were like, hey, we need help with this. I would make them videos for free. They're like, we can't figure out how to promote this. I was like, have you tried this? Like, and I like, I collected these relationships with these brands, Blendtec, KitchenAid, Vital Proteins when I was as a food blogger. And so naturally what happened is when I transitioned from food blogger to I'm consulting people, I started to bump into some of these people like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, well, I'm not running Cave anymore. I hired it out. I'm helping companies do this. And they're like, holy moly. Well, we have this collagen. Do you want to come be a marketing guy for us? And I was like, yeah. And so I had these pre-existing relationships that I fostered and I loved. And so when I changed roles, it went from I can be your influencer to I can be your strategist. And the transition was amazing. And I had like carnal knowledge of these companies. I'd promoted their products for years. Like, I was with Vital Proteins before Vital Proteins was a company. I knew Kurt before they even launched their first product. And I just supported and supported and supported. And so, you know, six years later, when the tides changed, it went from send me free product to I'll send you an invoice and then we'll help you sell more product. And so it was all these relationships I had. And so I leveraged them. I highly leveraged relationships and I started supporting people. And then, you know, you know, once you get some of the wins that I got, it was pretty much, you know, at that point, like, a, how do we get a hold of you and how do we work together? And what I did is I actually spent the first two years as a consultant only working and talking to companies that I had already had pre-existing relationships with. And so I was like, I knew in the paleo space or the supplement space or the food space or we had a pre-existing relationship. And I used that to really hone and develop like what I was doing, what I was teaching, my own modalities, my methodologies. And at some point it hit that like, I didn't want to be the face. I didn't want to be the star. I didn't want to be the guy. I wanted to be the guy behind the scenes and I really wanted to help with impact and it kept me healthy and it gave me a purpose outside of like how many followers do I have, right? Because you know that happens to all of us or at least to me. And so the transition was was rough in the beginning and then it was a very slow drip to really like acceptance that I can do this. And and really like Jeff Spencer who's somebody you know was one of the biggest keys to this. He was in my first you know, he was in that mastermind with me. He was at that first keynote and he kind of became like a dad to me. And like, I'll never forget, like I had to come to this realization and this healthy place of like, I don't always have to have the answers or it doesn't have to be me. I can help other people win just like Olympic coaches do. Like the coaches and the team help these people win gold and the gold medalist bass in the glory. But it was everybody together. And I was like, I didn't want the credit anymore because it was unhealthy for me. I would chase it for the wrong reasons, the validation, all the dopamine. And I learned in Caveman that that wasn't good. Like It never made me feel better. So all these lessons came together and then I basically transitioned over. And so once the momentum came, I decided to walk away from that other company. And then I looked at all of it instead of like I was a food blogger to like, wow, what did I do? Like, what did I figure out? Like I spent 10 years talking to customers, showing up consistently, responding to every social comment, posting a blog every day, writing emails, like obsessing about the things that helped me deliver value. And if I took it from where it was to the 30,000 foot view, I realized I could apply a lot of those principles, not tactics, principles to companies and have a really, really big impact. And one of the first consulting clients that I had was like, hey man, have you ever, do you realize how good you are at like culture and leadership? And I was like, no. 
And that's when I realized that 12 years in the Marine Corps mixed with what I had self-taught on marketing and business and customer journeys together was a really, really powerful combination to help teams come together, to help communication in teams. Because in the Marine Corps, and I'll tell everybody this, one of the biggest lessons I learned is you can work with anybody even if you don't like them. Because we couldn't fire each other, we couldn't quit, and no matter what, we were deploying together. And the amount of us that literally couldn't speak to each other, couldn't stand each other, but the moment it mattered, we would work together and we would be family was mind blowing. And I realized that like we have that ability around us. So I combined all those things together. And then that was basically how I transitioned into consulting. And then, you know, the big shift was realizing that, you know, this, I couldn't fly 160 times a year and be healthy. Right? Like I was on like 160 flights in one year and I was not with my family. I was missing my child. <laughs> I was missing my wife. I was missing them growing up. And I was like, how do I buy some of my time back? And then that's where I made the transition from, I'm going to choose who I consult with. And then I'm going to spend the rest of the time in my mastermind, helping entrepreneurs that like really want to play this game the right way. And then that was basically how I got to here. So I assume with that transition comes all the mental BS, right? Like I I assume there's imposter syndrome of like, who am I to be teaching this? I would assume in the beginning, you didn't charge very much money because you didn't think you were worth anything. Uh, Can you talk me through some of that stuff? Like yeah. you hated your life, right? You you did not like where you were with Civilized Caveman, even though it, it was, you know. I mean, I was, de- I mean, like I was depressed. Like in full disclosure, everybody, I ended up in the psych ward. I ended up checking myself into the hospital because all of the external started to break my internal I hadn't worked on. And I, I struggled a lot with post-traumatic stress from the military, from my childhood, from abuse. And so, yeah, it wasn't like a overnight thing. Like this was like a two year thing. The transition was about two years to get to a point where I was even like confident that I could teach what I was doing. Um, and it was a, it was a, it was a race, right? Like it was just choosing to run it every day, like one more step and one more step and one more step. And you know what? I don't think the imposter syndrome went away till maybe about a year ago and it pops its ugly head up every now and then, but it's typically when I'm distracted. Right. And so, yeah, in the beginning, like, let me just tell everybody, of those 20 people that I agreed to help, I didn't invoice any of them. And I only got paid by the ones who said, why haven't you let me pay you yet? <laughs> and literally, like, I was afraid to send a notice. I didn't know how much money to charge. I didn't know what to do. Like, this stuff you and I talked about. And it was a struggle. And then what the struggle was, Ben, is I was looking that my worth was only on the number I charged. Right? Like, that somehow that that was my value or my exchange. And so I had to go through all of this. And then... You said this earlier, which rubs me the wrong way. I even went through a point of it where I was unhealthy, self-proclaiming how much I got made. And now, like, you won't even hear me talk about it. And that's something I work on. That was the evolution of me getting out was then owning the value and then working on these goals and then getting to where I am now. It's like, I just want to help people, right? Like, I really genuinely care. This fires me up and let it go. But it's a practice. And I think in entrepreneurs, what I talk about the most is, you know, consistency will always trump intensity, right? And the mental game has been there. The doubts come in, the fears come in, you know, we get, I get smacked in the face almost daily in one of the businesses that I'm running, right? Whether it's a mastermind student, whether it's high speed daddy, whether it's impact bars, whether it's my podcast, like I feel like every day the universe is like, are you awake? And I'm like, yes, I'm awake. And it creeps in. It still comes in. Right. And then it's a practice. It's acknowledging what's there. And like near Ayala, I just had him on the podcast. And the biggest distinction is identifying the feeling that was there before it came and then what shifted so you can get to the root of it. And I think like one of the biggest things is like honesty, like real honesty, 
like in this game that we live in, we go to these events, we go to these conferences, we go to these talks, we see these social media. like, it's so easy. My life is so great. I'm like, you're full of shit. I was like, let's just all be honest. Like entrepreneurs <laughs> don't succeed because of like, I have a silver spoon in my life and everything. We go to solve a problem. We go to solve something, to do something, to find value, to create something. And we have drive in that. And, and that drive can be distraction or action, right? The root of it's the same. It's typically the intent that goes into it. And no matter what, we're going to get a flat tire. We're going to hit a speed bump. And I think the biggest gift is being really authentic with yourself and then having the right people around you to be like, hey, man, I'm like, I'm not feeling it today, right? Like, I remember you and I talking about it. And you're like, I didn't know treasure. Like, me neither, dude. I still don't believe I'm worth that, right? And I'm like, it comes up. And then I realize that it doesn't matter what I think or what I feel. Like, if I'm in my purpose, I'm in my value, I'm in my business, like, I'm, I'm doing my job. And the people on the receiving end of it feel complete and we're communicating. Together, we always win. Always. Always. And it's one of those things that I will say, it hasn't gone away for me. I'm just aware that it's there. And it's like, I, I literally like, I like hand out a cup of coffee and I'm like, sit down, right? Like you're going to be here. You might as well drink a cup of coffee and shut up because I'm going to get to work now. And I create space and containers in my day. You know, I spend, you know, probably 30 minutes to an hour in solitude every day. And that's nothing like just sitting, staring at my ceiling, you know, breath work, eyes closed, anything. And I'll spend time reflecting and I'll like write like what's coming up for me. Like, oh, I'm feeling like this today. I'm feeling like this today. And I'm just being a witness to it. And it's that practice that has allowed me to really work through this a lot. Um, And it definitely comes and goes. And I feel like every time I hit a new level, there's that realization that, oh, I hit the peak of the mountain. I see the next peak, but I have to ride down the backside before I start to climb again. And a part of it is just the modulation of being human. And so I think I've just really come to terms with, you know, this self-help game that everybody sells and perpetuates. It's not rainbows and unicorns. It's bullshit. We literally can't all be happy all the time. Like if our ancestors, Nier said this on the podcast, if our ancestors were happy all the time, walking around the Serengeti, well, another tribe would have came and wiped them out. Like we wouldn't exist. Like we're supposed to experience feelings. We're supposed to experience these things. I think the biggest thing for me and the practice I do every day is not being in the feeling, but witnessing the feeling. Like not being in the thought, but witnessing the thought, right? Like, oh, there it is again. Oh, there it is again. Not that's who I am. I'm not the amount of money I charge. I'm not the thought. I'm not a horrible person. I'm not a failure because I didn't get that to go. It's like, oh, look, that happened. Okay, well, let's do it differently. And the analogy I've been giving to people is like, you know, you got, you can't be Tom Brady on the field. You got to be the guy up in the box, looking at the entire picture, choosing what play to call next. Right. But it's like, you fumble, you don't stop like, okay, next play, next play, next play. And that's been the biggest distinction for me is like this really big level of self-awareness and self-acceptance. And there are still times like I'll quote people and you know, like, you know what I've charged and like where I work in this. And there are still times that my skin crawls when I send the invoice. And I'm like, but they agreed to it on the phone. And I'm like, where am I doing this from? Like, and and what I have to remember is that it's okay to run the race. Like I just got back from two intensives. I was in St. Louis. I was up in Northern Pasadena. And it's funny because I'm in the room with these two amazing human beings, two separate times. And in my brain, I'm like, okay, I got to deliver on this value. They paid me X amount of dollars and I got to be here. And I'll never forget the first one. We were an hour into two days and he's like, we could stop right now. And I feel like I didn't pay you enough. And I was like, I'm not the one that can put value 
on what's there. It's their perception, right? And if I'm in my head, I can't deliver it. And like, I have to be present with people and come up with a win. And I realize like, what's the worst thing that happens? Someone's like, hey, I paid you this money. This was missing. And then we solve it together. But like, I've never had anybody be like, give me my money back. Right. And I was like, I think that's the most important part is that now I go about my day collecting evidence that proves the narrative wrong. Right. Like, I look at that, I'm like, that wasn't true. It wasn't even close to true. Right. And then I'm like, that night we were having dinner and we're breaking like a $400 bottle of wine he bought me just to say thank you. And I was concerned that I wasn't going to deliver on like what was here. And we still had a whole nother day left. And he's like, man, we could be done right now. And I was like, oh, okay, got it. So that, that self-awareness and that, that space to kind of reflect and like really just be okay that the doubts are going to be there, the fears are going to be there, the imposter syndrome is going to be there. And the more that you practice realizing it's there and then taking an action, regardless of the thought or the feeling, the faster it dissipates. There's so much in there to break down. I know, I know. You knew this was going to happen. But that's all right, because I want to break it down, right? So any of my consulting clients, previous consulting clients that are listening are are probably hearing a lot of me right there, right? I I didn't know that this was all a mental game until I met you. I I specifically signed up to go to your mastermind. You offered me to come there for the first time, uh, February 2019 or 2018, one of the two. and I came there thinking, all right, I'm going to learn marketing. This guy's smart. I can't wait to learn marketing. And I spent three days crying. Like, that's not what I signed up for, George. I even, I even pulled you aside the first day. And I'm like, Why? What, what is this? I want to learn marketing. And, and we're balling in here. Um, but it's exactly what I needed. Like, the, the programs we're running from childhood, really, uh, are holding us back. And, and, and like you said, they don't seem to ever go away, right? It's like, I'm still struggling with imposter syndrome and my self-worth today. But... Uh, it's all a new level, right? And so yeah. back then, man, I was I was pretty broken, if I'm going to be honest with you. And and uh, episode number one, Kayvon, we actually talked about this. We were both in the room. Oh, yes. Episode number five, Elliot, uh, he was there and he kind of called us both out. And um, I would honestly say you wouldn't recognize that version of Kayvon or myself no. today if you, if you went and talked to those people. And so um, it's amazing how it, it's all in our heads, right? So like all the tactics are out there, like all the... Uh, everything you need to do is, is literally out there. And I hope we get to get into some of this uh, now of, of like your stuff. And, and I have something pulled up over here, which is going to be great. Uh, but like, man, how, like, can you give some besides sitting with yourself, right? Which I think is great. Sit, sit with yourself for 30 minutes, see what comes up. Cause all your mental bullshit is going to come up. It's going to play gymnastics on you. You're going to reach for your pocket for your phone about 63 times. Yeah. Uh, but like, what else can people do to recognize the patterns that are running in their head saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not worthy. Uh, who am I? Like those specifically, those are my own bullshit and I'm sure there's more and you probably have your own as well. But like, how do you sit and recognize those? Cause the moment you said, here's a piece of paper and it's, it was a drawing of a fish and I'm like, where the fuck is this guy going with this? Right. And you're like, I want you to write out your stinky fish. And then you explained it. And I almost started crying right there. I was like, Holy crap. The, the stinky fish is that voice in my head constantly telling me, you know, to not do what I want to do or reasons why I can't do what I think I should do. And so how do you spot that? Like talk through some of the modalities you've done and we, and we can certainly go deep into ayahuasca if you want to go there, but no, like- no, we don't even need to go into plant medicine. Like it was, and, and I love that question. And by the beauty, I, I watched a video of that event. Like the other day I was cleaning stuff up and it popped up and I was like, I don't recognize myself. I don't recognize Elliot, you, Kayvon, anybody else in the room. And it's funny. Most of us still talk. And we still communicate, which I love, by the way, because that was my first ever mastermind event that you were at. So thank you for coming. Um, it was worth it. 
Yeah. And so when I look at this, I think one distinction, I'm, I'm really big on like metaphors because that's how my brain works. One of the things that it took me a long time to realize, Ben, is I thought <laughs> I was seeking like, what's the next strategy or tactic, right? What's the next play, right? But the thing is, in order for Tom Brady to be Tom Brady, it's not the plays that are called, it's the man that's running the play or the human that's running the play. And, and even my first business, my first career, most of my life, I kept trying to go find another play. What's the play? What's the play? What's the play? Instead of picking a play and making myself a better player. And that's been the biggest game for me. And so like tangibly, there's this distinction I have not shared with anybody on any interview whatsoever until right now. It's only been shared with three people. And this is what I've been currently working through is I had this belief that the level of resistance or pain that caused the trauma or caused the disbelief or caused the resistance needs to be matched with the healing modality, right? So I'm like looking at this and I'm like, oh, well, I was depressed for like 32 years of my life, right? And I was an addict and bulimic for 20, which means I'm going to have to suffer for like four or five years to feel better, right? And like, this was a program I had running that it can't be that simple, that it can't be that easy, right? And obviously you and I both do hypnotherapy and we've done these things. And so it's not true anymore. But I realized as I was unpacking this narrative and doing my healing and growing, the thing that was keeping my, me stuck is I kept moving the finish line because I would feel good. Like I'd feel amazing after a session with Elliot, right? Or Anthony or my, you know, Theta Healer or myself. And then I would feel so good that I'd be like, no, I'm not supposed to feel this good. Feel like shit again. And it was like this thing over and over. And it, it was like moving the finish line over and over. And this answers your question in a roundabout way in my typical fashion. One thing besides solitude, actually what has to come before solitude is not being in solitude, not being alone, not isolating yourself, not being in your own echo chamber, right? Like the thing in between our ears that convinces us of these things is our biggest enemy because it knows our fears, it knows our past, it has our memories. And here's a fact only 20% of it is accurate. 80% of it is pieced together for neural pathways to try to trigger some sort of memory. And so it's really important to understand the game that you're playing. And if you try to play the game on the field of your brain, you will lose the game because it's you, yourself, and you, right? It's like that movie, Me, Myself, and Irene, right? The dude was like fighting himself the whole time. You cannot win that game because it's not actually a game. And so the, the biggest thing is that you don't do this alone. The worst thing to do as an entrepreneur when these thoughts come in is to actually give them more fuel, give them more space by isolating, by disconnecting, by distracting. And so I tell everybody, find somebody in your life that you can talk to. Find a partner, a friend, a, a group of people that you don't have to go divulge your secrets to, but you know the moment you communicate with them, the story in your head is called on its bullshit because that story only lives when we protect it. And a lot of us protect the story because it's comfortable for us. And so you have to remove yourself from isolation. As an entrepreneur, it's crazy how many depressed and isolated entrepreneurs there are. And you and I are, have the same flavor. We have forever, right? And we give the illusion, like we're working, we're on e-commerce, we're doing this stuff, but we're the same person alone in this office behind the computer. And we have to intentionally seek out connection, right? Because that stuff's not connection. So don't do it alone. That's number one, is have somebody, something like a tribe, a person, 
anybody that when you come up against your stuff or you're literally like, I'm not good enough, I'm not there, just the thought of texting that person makes it go away because you know they're going to be like, will you stop lying to yourself? Right? Like that level of connection, that's number one. Number two is in the alone time, you have to put constraints on it. You have to put constraints on it because the only difference between distraction and action is intent. This is all near IL. I had him on the podcast the other day, but his book Hooked is amazing and Indistractable is even better. But you have to do constraints on it, right? And so it's like you said it earlier, like, oh, we get uncomfortable in our body. Then our brain convinces us what the feeling is. And then we end up being our worst enemy. We're our worst bully. Oh, look, you're doing it again. You're not good enough. You're not here, blah, 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 blah. And then we allow that to distract ourselves from the thing that was the path through. And so you have to be your best friend. You have to talk nice to yourself and you have to understand this. So when you start, when you start to feel things, when you start to have those, you know, beliefs, what the first thing, in my opinion, you have to do is you have to recognize, is it a feeling in your body or is it a thought in your head, right? Like that's the first distinction here. And once you recognize it, you take an action. If it's the thought in your head and they're not feeling it in your body, it's just that narrative and that programming. You just have to pause the program. And so for me, it's writing it down or speaking it out. So one of my favorite things to do is I have, I have nine coaches right now, nine. Um, and they're all for different things, but I can reach out to each of them. But the moment I start to have this narrative, I open my phone and I record a video to them. And I start to tell them what I'm believing about myself. And normally about 15 seconds in, I delete the video and never send it. Because I was like, they are going to smoke me. They're going to kick me in the shins. They're going to be like, will you stop? I have found that when I'm having those thoughts and patterns, the faster I get them out of my brain, the faster they're neutralized. I'll write them down. And when I read them, like I sit there, it's my stinky fish. I read it. And I'm like, that's no, that's not true. That's not there. That's not whatever. And so what I try to do is when it's just the thoughts, I always try to pause the thought, right? I try to get it out. So if I'm at my computer, I'll state change, right? I'll go outside. I'll go into my kitchen. I'll, I'll move my body to get that out. And then I'll figure out a way to get it out. If it's in my body, that's a little bit of a different game. And so if it's in my body, I'll look at it. And instead of choosing my phone or choosing a video or music or to get up, I'll just stop everything that I'm doing and I'll be curious. But I won't get mad at myself, but I'll be curious. Like, what is it? Like, where am I feeling it first, right? Like, if I'm feeling it in my body, there's probably something that my body's trying to tell me. It's my check engine light. I'm like, oh, my stomach hurts. So it feels like butterflies. And I try to explain it to myself. Like, I give it texture. I give it whatever I need to do. And I make sure that before I take any action, I've just fully acknowledged what I'm feeling. And what I, what I equate this to is like, if you're driving your vehicle, and it says I'm out of gas and you ignore it, you're going to break down. If you're driving your vehicle and your check engine light says on it says add oil and you don't add oil, your engine block's going to explode, right? If you are driving the vehicle of your body and it continually talks to you and talks to you and talks to you and you suppress it down, it's just a matter of time before it breaks. And so I tell people, you just got to diagnose the check engine light. You don't have to do anything with it, right? But like when I'm standing in front of the mastermind the first time, like I have butterflies in my stomach. I was like, oh, I have butterflies in my stomach. I'm feeling nervous. But then with that awareness, I can go into it anyways, right? I'm aware of what's going on. So those are two very tangible things that I do. And then, and this is straight out of Nir Iel's, you know, book. In either case, in either case, you know, he talks about being indistractable. And this has probably been the biggest needle mover for me is protecting my time 
and being focused, right? And he talks about like how writing is one of the hardest things ever. And he writes, it took him six years to write Indistractable. Like writing is a difficult task for some people. And so he's like, I allow myself to be distracted, but here's what happens. If I, if I have this and I've gotten rid of it and I have this and I've gotten rid of it, and then I still find myself not wanting to do the task, I set a timer for 10 minutes and I'm allowed to go into that distraction 10 minutes later. But in the t- meantime, I have to sit with whatever this is, my head, my body, and I can't really do anything with it. And most of the time in a minute, two minutes, three minutes, it's completely gone and you're back at task or you've processed it out. So those things are absolutely massive. And um, it all really comes down to being in a space like in your world with the people that are around you that hold you at your potential yourself as well and then not going at it alone, right? Going to a friend, leaning in, identifying your own thought, putting it on paper, feeling something in your body and identifying it what it is because the only path forward. Like if you're going to fix the car, you need to know what the diagnosis is, right? If you're going to, you know, change the thought or change the program, you have to know the program that was running, right? Because there is no, you know, erase button on our brains. And so those are really, really big tangible things that I actually do every day. Um, and then the other big one would be uh, future self journaling, right? Like I, I, I make time every single day for five to 10 minutes um, to not... <laughs> I'll even frame that differently to write the manuscript of my future movie. Right. And like with most psychology and I've done all of it, right. From cognitive behavioral therapy, prolonged exposure, talk therapy, group therapy, I've done all of it. Plus plant medicine. One of the biggest things I struggled with is all I focused on was what I had done, not what I was going to do. And so it was this repeating pattern over and over. Well, I did this, so I'm going to do this now. And it was all in the reaction to something in the past Instead of being like, here's where I am, and this is what I'm going to proactively build. And so, you know, between Benjamin Hardy and the holistic psychologist, I get into future self journaling. And it really, it's like every day, just carving out five minutes of my day and being like, this is who I am choosing to be today. Like, this is what I'm building, where I'm going, and how I'm going to get there. And just acknowledging that it's from this proactive space. And so those are really, really, really tangible things. And the one thought that I have to close because it'll bother me, there's a point in this, and, and you're aware of this as well, like there's a point in this where there's in entrepreneurship and life in general, there's a part of us that subconsciously react to triggers that are coming in that we don't realize we're doing, right? And so the first part of the game is bringing our awareness to, oh, that used to be subconscious, now it's conscious. And then once it's conscious, then working on what Scott Carney calls the wedge, where, oh, I'm triggered and I'm going to pause before I respond. I'm not going to react, right? It's not a knee-jerk reaction. It's a pause. And there's thousands of modalities to do this. But what we have to practice is training our central nervous system so that like, you know, when something happens, we don't immediately react to make it worse. We just pause for a minute. We assess the situation, right? And he calls it the wedge. So that's why I do cold therapy and breath work, right? It's like, oh, Every time I get a nice bath, I hate to tell you, it never gets easier. It hurts. It only hurts for like the first minute, minute and a half. And it's not even the ice bath that's the challenge. It's that two seconds before I get in where I have to make the commitment. Am I getting in or am I not getting in? And it's like, I know what's coming. I know it's uncomfortable. But if I sit in that discomfort for 90 seconds, then I can stay as long as I want and get the benefits. And I'm really just inserting a pause button between trigger and response. And that's one of the biggest things that I think is neglected in the game of entrepreneurship is 
getting ready and practicing for the discomfort and practicing for the flat tire and practicing all the things that let us take those hits and still get up again and get up again and get up again, not just, you know, performing and performing and performing. And so those are about as many tangible things as I do in my day. <laughs> well, I love that you said a few things. I want to touch on a few, right? I love that you said uh, it's all about jumping off the cliff, right? Like the, the standing at the edge and thinking about you're going to jump is, is half the game. Yep. it's just kiss the girl it's just jump off the cliff it's just take the action uh and once you get past that little hurdle it's usually a lot but i i like some of the other things you said like writing down your thoughts like sitting in silence and actually writing down your thoughts is great i took a note on the future self thing that's fantastic i often think of the future and that's when all my stinky fish boil up and if yep. i just sat there and said is that true am i repeating something i've done before that i didn't like uh it would probably go away so that is totally going into my daily routine and then the other question i had was like you said seek other people to talk to, right? So I found this room in Elliot Rose Mastermind where you're on a hot seat for an hour. Elliot already knows your bullshit and he puts it out there for everyone to see. And then the whole room obviously sees it, which is amazing. Uh, and they call you on it, let alone you get to watch, you know, 10, 15, 20 other people have their hour and you see yourself in them. Uh, I, before I met Elliot, I didn't know I needed this stuff. Before I met you, I didn't know I needed this stuff, right? So I sought out marketing and found you, uh, which brought me into this world of self-development. Like, I don't think I was doing anything before then at all. Honestly, I was just grinding as hard as I could on marketing and, uh, outworking people. Uh, and then I realized I didn't need to outwork people. I needed to out, like outwork my brain, right? I needed to figure out my own, uh, mental BS. And so I'm, I'm curious where, where do you think people listening could, could find that number one, they could join your mastermind and I would recommend it. They're going to learn a ton from you. Uh, where else could they find this? Where else do you recommend somebody find somebody who's going to be able to call them on their bullshit and also has created a space where it's safe to like let that stuff out because most people are hiding what's wrong with them because they feel shame right they don't want to tell yeah. people they feel this way and in reality we all have these thoughts yeah and uh the answer to this might shock you so the first five people that popped into your head are not the five people because those are the ones you chose because they'll let you stay stuck and i'm going to say that right now yep you need to find somebody who sees you at your potential, not at your story, right? And doesn't beat you up or berate you, but holds you there. Like, no, it's like, we can do better. Like, we can be better. Like, I, I always look at it of like, that person who literally knows you're going to win the Olympics four years before you even compete, right? And they just see you there. And it's not something that's found over time. I mean, found like overnight. It's something that's found over time, but you have to start communicating, right? And so... I don't like sounding like a walking tweetable, but like the teacher appears when the student is ready. But what that really means for me is that when we're committed to this work of like, hey, the first person that has to identify that I'm greater than I think I am is me. And when you start working on that, even microscopically, you'll tend to start to attract a different set of people. You'll start to notice people differently. You'll start to see people that communicate with you differently that have been there the whole time, just waiting for you to kind of open up, right? And this could be in a Facebook group. This could be in a, a mom's group. This could be in an entrepreneurial group, but it can never be about the transaction, right? Like it's not about the race. Like Olympians don't win because they decided that day they're just going to run that race. It's all the little pieces and coaches don't see the race. What most coaches see is they see the holes that would prevent them from running the race, right? Like Olympic athletes already know how to run or how to bike or how to throw shot put, right? Coaches don't really come in to help them add 0.1% to their performance. They find all the areas and see all the areas that would stop them from performing at their peak. 
And so in, even in business, like you can go find people that are good at email marketing and blah, 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 but like deeper, like what are they doing as people, right? Like what are they doing as people? And like we look at and we idolize these people. Like we idolize these celebrities or these athletes or these entrepreneurs, right? But if we ever notice the ones that we idolize, we tend to only look at what we want to look at to mimic and we miss all the stuff that makes that result possible, like my mentors, you can't find one of the people I had as without a morning routine that doesn't spend time in solitude, that doesn't journal and probably only works four hours a day because they're efficient in what they do. And so to find these people, you have to first get really clear. Like I want to be different because at this point you're at a fork in the road. And from this point forward, your paradigm never goes back because if you self-sabotage, you distract, you have to be aware that you're doing it. Or if you're like, it's going to be different from this point forward, you have to be aware and practice something different, but it all starts with us. And there's a point in my life where I wasn't ready for coaching. There was a point in my life I wasn't ready for uh, feedback. Like I sat in that chair in Elliot's room and I was not ready that day, but I was, but I didn't think I was, but I got to the room and that ripped me open. And it was actually on a, I was there the day before I went to Costa Rica for a plant medicine ceremony. So you want to talk about serendipity. Um, and so you have to be aware because nobody else can run your race. And th that's what I'm going to say right now. So nobody else can run your race. When you think about this, like, how do you find these people? Well, first is you have to recognize that you're the star of your life and your business and your results and your relationship, right? You can find coaches, you can find whatever. But at the end of the day, when the gun goes off, you're the only one running. And so you have to accept that it's your game. And once you accept that it's your game, you figure out what you want it to look like. And then you start to find people wherever you are spending your time. But what I look at is like where I was three years ago, if I was still around some of those people, I would not be where I am today, right? And I have to find people that are playing the game where I want to play it. And then I have to start moving myself towards that field. And so, you know, it could be, you know, a you want to lose weight, right? It's really easy to go to the gym by yourself, right? But is there a workout group that meets every Saturday? Is there a running group that meets every Sunday? Because the moment you put yourself in that group, you're running whether you like it or not, right? You can't do an Irish goodbye without getting across the finish line. I've tried, right? And it's like, oh, I'm going to run now. I'm going to run now. And so you have to surround yourself both in your environment and with people that are going to get you to where you want to go. And in that is where you start to find these people, right? But what I found, Ben, for me is that I was like, oh, I want somebody to be with and to support me. And I'm going to sit in my chair and I'm going to wait for them to come to me. No, you have to put yourself in the situations to find them. And it starts with self-awareness and then being really authentic with people. Like if somebody meets you, like how's business? It sucks. I love it, but I'm struggling right now. Right. Or God, like I want to love it. And I love the work, but I feel empty when I'm done every day. Like it starts there. And then that's where it starts to come in. And quite frankly, after that point, it's boring as shit because it's the consistent pursuit of the practice, right? Like it's, it gets to a point when we have this clarity, like you and I both know what moves the needle, right? Like we know what's going to have the biggest impact on our relationship, on our business, on whatever. And for me, the moment I have that awareness, I'm no longer like struggling or flopping. I'm choosing to not do it. Right. And I know like I could stop recording podcasts, but I can't complain that my podcast isn't growing anymore or that people aren't listening to it. If I stop, I'm like, no, this is one of my levers. And so every day I have to focus on it, whether I'm tired, whether I'm uncomfortable, whether I want to do it or not, I have to focus on that consistent action to create a different result. And so, you know, I want to tell everybody like it's, it's hunky dory and it's kumbaya, but it's not. 
it's choice. And it's regardless of feeling like being with yourself, being aware, having people around you that hold you at your potential and being able to sit you in a chair, whether physically or digitally and being like, hey, stop, you know, right? And then I'm making you wrong. And then you'd be like, oh, I do know. What's the one thing I can do differently today? And then the biggest thing is it's back to practice. It's back to practice. It's back to practice. And so that's how I, I go about it. And, and for me, like this comes up for me every day. Like the biggest thing that I struggle with right now is like, I don't have access to my social media. I don't have logins to my website. And every morning I get a Slack message at 7am from my COO that says, this is what you need to get done today. And when I'm done with it, I feel like a lost little boy in a city looking for direction. Because I'm like, what do you mean I'm done for the day? Like, I'm supposed to be grinding. Like, I'm supposed to be bleeding. I'm spo- and then I'll be like, yo, and he's like, go spend time with your wife. Go take your son to the park. Go for a walk. And it still comes up. And it's important just to realize that this is the game. And we protect our time. We protect our assets. And we do this by our level of self-awareness and the practice to it, right? Because like, if I look at myself on the scale of zero to 100, of like 100, I have this game figured out. I know the purpose of life. I've studied quantum mechanics enough, quantum physics enough, like all these things, like enlightenment, consciousness, purpose. I'm at like 3.2%. I'm at like 3.2%. And that's amazing for me to realize, but I realize that if I do this every day, like if I you know walk in silence every day, if I write for five minutes a day, if I reflect on what's coming up for me for 10 minutes a day, that no matter what, I'm continuing in the direction of that path and I'm moving forward on it. And that's going to be the biggest thing over and over and over that I talk about. Yeah. I think just solidifying the whole mastermind thing, like go pay, mm-hmm. go pay to be in a group. Uh, totally. you know, it cost me a chunk of money to come sit in Temecula with you at the Marriott, I believe. Yeah. Um, but it was worth it. Right. And it, and it led to me joining your mastermind, which was also an uncomfortable feeling for me and for my business partners to drop that kind of cash. But uh, it was so, so worth it. And so just to touch on your mastermind, right? Many of who many of whom have been on the show uh, over half, yeah. in fact, are from I was gonna like, say. like yeah. who I met in your mastermind. Right. So episode one, Kayvon, episode three, Bree, four, TJ, five, Elliot, eight, Abdul, nine, Troy, 10, Tom, 11, Jordan, 13, Steve Sims, 15, Justin Christensen, 18, Eric. 20 Craig, which is your business partner on high business speed daddy. Partner. And, uh, last week's episode with Nick Coates, like I met all of these people through your mastermind. I'm, I'm kind of blown away. Like how eclectic that group is. They all do completely different things. Uh, and I'm not sure how you got them all into one room, but like, I wouldn't know any of those people if it wasn't for you. So number one, like go fucking pay for a mastermind. Totally. Certainly find somebody you resonate with. Uh, I'm definitely going to recommend George's like he did wonders for me. I think he can do wonders for you. Uh, but I, I, I want to touch on your mastermind, right? So yeah, Number one, I met all of those people. Um, some of the things you taught me, I think, are fantastic. So if you don't mind diving into marketing, I know you geek well, out on that Of course, let's area. do it. Like, f- so first off, you connected my SEO knowledge to the customer journey. I don't think I ever paid attention to a customer journey. I cared about keywords and keywords only. Uh, yeah. And that meant you know SEO or that meant Google AdWords. Um and, and finding out what people were searching, which again, I think is pretty easy, but like tying that to a customer journey is something you did for me that I think is incredible. And it's something I actually teach to all my clients now. Um, and then you also taught me the seven laws of marketing. And that's where I'd like to like dive in with you is like, I'd like to go through each one and just have you like explain it in your own words, because I think they're incredible. We took this from the company I was with, the golf company I was with. We took this and printed it up on a sheet and said, this is the laws of our brand too. And it's all over the office there. Uh, And I think everybody should implement most of these things. Um, So number one, everyone feels valued whether they give you your credit card or not, which is hands down my favorite one you have. But I'd love to hear like in your words, what does that mean? 
Yeah, yeah. So there's zero way to win the game of business or marketing if somebody has an interaction with you, feels disrespected, disconnected, or pushed away if they didn't pay you, right? So what you have to remember is 99% of purchasing decisions do not happen on the moment and they're all emotional based, right? So people take journeys to buy things, to buy cars, to buy programs, to buy services because they have to look for space in their life. They're currently endowed to how they're doing things. And so to get somebody from where they are to wanting to run a mile, right? As much as we'd love to think like, oh, they made the decision and then they're in, it didn't. It's this linear, it's not this linear process. It's like this journey of touch points. And so if you carry this forward in everything that you do and you realize that the whole purpose of everything you do isn't to get somebody to pay you, it's to give them a touch point that moves them closer to you, you create a win-win-win game. Because not only do they get a touch point, they move forward to you, they have a positive interaction. And while they're in their process of going like, oh, I like this George guy, I might want to join his mastermind and you're consuming content, you're also starting to tell your friends about it over and over because you're having positive experiences. And so the credit card purchase, in my opinion, is a byproduct of a proper relationship that allows somebody to take a journey towards their goal. And so if you think about this, when you write content, when you post on social, when you write emails, remember not everybody reading it is going to buy right away. But if you're always improving upon the silence or moving somebody one step closer to their goal, there's zero way to lose that game. And the one analogy that I give, can you imagine if Apple only let you in the store if you bought a product? Like I, one of my buddies is a GM at Apple up the street, less than 10% of people a day that come in the store, buy something. The other 90% are in there, in that journey, touching, experiencing, playing, and eventually they'll come back and buy. And so when you want to model these companies, you have to model all of it, not just what you think they're doing. So they create a container that you come in and whether you buy or not, you feel a part of Apple. You play with their phone, you take the watches, you download apps, you put selfies on there you use their software and products, they put you into a container. And in that container, no matter where you are, you're moving closer and closer and closer to becoming an Apple customer. And then when you're ready, you take out your credit card and you're in forever. We'll complain about how much we spend, but yet we'll buy five of them. And that's kind of a perfect example of that one. Yeah. And I love it. Again, I see everything through an SEO lens or a keyword lens. Uh, and, and oftentimes you're answering questions or you're solving a problem. Uh, and, and I think the one way I've shifted this into my verbiage is like answer their question, solve their problem, whether they buy from you or not. If you sell a yeah. specific type of grill, there's a hundred other ways to grill something. They don't need yes. your grill, right? But they might need you to solve their problem of, of how to grill certain things, right? Like just solve all of their problems and take them on their journey, whether they pay you or not. Uh, and they're probably going to come back and pay you. And uh, I don't know. That's my favorite one by far. Number two, listen intently on what the customer wants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I talked about this earlier. Like this is the reason I became a seven-figure entrepreneur is I paid attention. And so what I find all too often is we think we know what they want, right? But we'll use our language, our beliefs, or where we currently are, and then try to sell that to our customers, not realizing that they're trying to get to where we are. And there's a different method to get them there. And so when I say listen intently to what the customer wants, it's not only just listening, it's paying attention to what they're doing and not doing, what they're saying, what they're not saying, how they're saying it. And so like you think about social media, if you post every day, seven days in a row, and every single post gets a comment, multiple comments, and then on day eight, you post and there's no comments, that's feedback doesn't mean there's something wrong. It could have been a deeper question people weren't ready to respond to. The caption could have been missing in call to action. The image might not have harped on the same thing. 
But if we constantly live in this place of curiosity and we're paying attention to what's working and what's not working, what they're saying, what they're not saying, you'll end up with every ingredient required to make a Michelin star recipe to put this all into food. And so, you know, we hear these adages in sales, right? Like, you know, sell them what they want to give them what they need. And I was like, ah, but you're still transactional. You're selling features and benefits, right? People will come to you and they'll be like, I want to lose five pounds, right? But if they were really happy, would they want to lose five pounds? Or if they were really confident, would they want to lose five pounds? Or if they really knew the path, would they want to come to you? No. The five pounds is the wrapping paper. Underneath it is probably confidence, self-acceptance, right? Momentum, positivity, right? And it's like, so we can talk about the features all day, but if you really listen, if you really listen, people will literally tell you verbatim what to say to not only help them get results, but all them to help them get results through you by hiring you for whatever it is that you want to do, right? And it's like, it's funny when I get hired by companies, they're like, George, we want you to come consult, right? And they'll be like, we want you to double the company. But when you start asking them questions, they don't want to run the company that's double what they're doing. That's not important to them. They think it is, right? And you ask them a question. It's like, I actually want to spend more time. I want to be more efficient. I want to give back. I want my team to be more empowered, right? And so they tell us what they really want. And so as long as we're listening and listening and listening, we can deliver it. And the mistake that I see people make is we get romantic that we know. And if you get romantic that you know, you'll dig your heels in and you will know yourself out of business because you're going to keep talking about the same thing that nobody's responding to and you're going to miss what they're actually needing or actually wanting in the words that they're using. So pay attention everywhere. Reviews, comments, responses, emails. Get on phone calls with people. Ask them questions. Like my favorite thing to do, I still do this. Like if you comment on my social, I will open your Facebook profile. I will send you a video of me asking you a question. I'm doing that for multitudes of reasons. Number one, it's to connect. Number two is to outcare my competition. But number three is I really care about your response <laughs> because I'm going to take your response. I'm going to add it to my notes. I'm like, hey, if I put this in this, will this help you? And they're like, yeah, right? And so all of the answers we need are typically right in front of us. And so in business, you should probably get advice and pay attention to the people who are paying you money and what they're saying, not what Google, a YouTube video or a podcast tells you. I don't even know what to add to that one. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to let that one marinate for a second. Uh, so number three, learn or serve with every action you take. What does that mean? Yeah, this one's a good one. So if you're not learning or serving, you're wasting time, money, or energy. And so what I mean by this is intent, right? So if I'm going to post on social media, it should be doing one of two things. Either helping me learn about my customers because I'm asking questions, I'm posting videos or doing something, or I'm serving them with a piece of content that I learned from them with, right? So like I might ask a question like, hey, you know, what would it mean to you? Or like, when you look about, look about your daily routine, like what's one thing missing you would love to have in the next 30 days? And like a morning routine, a morning routine, a morning routine, right? That's serving value. I'm creating a connection, but I'm also learning. They're screaming for accountability and a morning routine. So I turn around two weeks later and I do a video on the three easiest ways to start a morning routine and the one thing to do today. And I'm serving them with what I learned. And so in my opinion, if you're running ads, writing emails, um, doing social posts, getting on calls, and you don't have a clear intent that what I'm about to do is going to help me better learn about my customer, potential customer, or what I'm about to do is going to help me help my customer or potential customer, then it's a waste of time, money, and energy. So intent is everything. But the amount of times I see people post fucking cat memes, are you kidding me? Like, great. I'm glad that you're monetizing attention, but you're really not. You're really not. Because what you end up is that influencer that has 1.7 million followers and she couldn't sell 16 t-shirts for $22.
Six, 7,000 comments a post couldn't sell a t-shirt. Why? Because all they were doing is getting attention and getting attention and getting attention, and that's the trap. So if everything you're doing is learning about your customer, not the attention, like who is your customer and how can you learn about them and then turn around and serve them with what you've learned, it literally is a matter of patience and time before you're guaranteed every result that you ever want. And it, it's all about the who, right? So earlier, all about the who. Earlier, you were talking about Civilized Caveman and this audience you built. You you knew who they were, right? You were speaking directly to them. Uh, and on to your next point of building long-term relationships and not one-night stands. I often see this uh, in all my clients. How do I get the next sale? How do I get the next sale? Yeah. How do I get the next sale? And so uh, we focus on the who, but let's hear your take on what it means to build a long-term relationship, not a one-night stand. Yeah, like the thing is, is like... <laughs> This, is, this could be a numbers game. This could be a transactional game. You can understand that 93% of marketing is word of mouth. And you have basically two views in somebody's eyes. They either like you or they dislike you. That's about how clean the internet is. And so in my opinion, I don't like losing. I like winning and creating win-win games. And so if every single person who comes into contact with me leaves on a positive note or worse, neutral, there's no negative ammunition to talk about me, Right. So that's like surfacey level stuff. Number two is when you build long-term relationships, you basically 10X your customer value, right? So when I think about this, it's like I could convince you all day to sell you a supplement, right? Like, oh, here's your supplement. Then I could disappear, right? And you don't hear from me for a couple of weeks. And then I'm like, oh, here's a special. And you haven't used the first one. You're going to cancel because now you have two. And you're like, God, I bought this supplement. I wanted to use it. It didn't work. I'm never buying from them again. But if I turn that around and I sell you a supplement and then for 30 days I show up and help you take it, give you recipes, guide you, and then you buy another one and then you're getting an email every couple of days, but you're actually using the product and getting the benefit that I promised, you're going to stay for 25 years. You can't leave because you have endowment because I was there and a part of your journey. And so everybody goes for the clothes. But it's like if you walked up to 100 strangers right now in the street and you tried to sell them your product or service, could you close some of them? Yeah. But would the ones that didn't close probably feel like you were pushy and manipulative? Yeah. And if somebody asked you or asked them how they felt about you, would it be a positive response? Probably not. But if I turn it around and I take a hundred of those people and, hey, guys, listen, I have this auditorium. I'd love to gift you an hour of my time. And I want to help you with X, Y, and Z, you guys game. And all 100 say yes, and they come to the room. And I was like, all right, this is all you need. Take this and go with it. And I'm like, but if you want more, come hire me. I can guarantee you that the people that hire me are my ideal customer and the ones that don't hire me can only talk positively about my brand or my business or what I offered because I helped them agnostic. And you saw this. I did this at Brand Builder Summit, right? Like I answered questions for 16 hours when I got off stage and it turned into over seven figures in revenue over the next you know, 12 months without quote unquote selling. And so at the end of the day, robots don't make purchasing decisions. Algorithms don't make purchasing decisions. Human beings do. And human beings are emotional creatures and every personal or purchasing decision is emotional. And what dictates whether they vote with their credit card or vote with their attention or even vote with their network and telling them about you is how they feel at every interaction they have with you. And so that's what I focus on with that one. Yeah, and it goes back to principle number one, solve their problem, whether they bought from you or not. If, you, if they can associate a win with you, they're going to love you. They're going to come back for more. They're going to tell their friends, hey, I've been trying to lose weight and I finally found this George Bryant guy online who taught me how to eat 
like a civilized caveman, right? And like they're going to spread the news for you, right? The word of mouth. So uh, I love that one. It leads, uh, again, these kind of all lead into each other. It leads right into the next one of create two-way conversations, not one-way lectures. And I think you demonstrated this the best that I've seen at Brand Builder. You got on the stage. You said, I had a keynote in mind. I'm going to go a different direction. I think, number one, I'm going to say, I think that was bullshit. I think you had this planned all along because you're a genius. Uh, but you pulled out your phone and you were like, look at all these likes on my uh, on my post, right? These are all people raising their hands saying, I want to be involved here, but they're not leaving a comment. And you were like, what are you doing about it, right? So you created a two-way conversation. You literally went through all the likes and you went and commented on people's photos and you commented on their stories in live time on the stage and the whole room's like, fuck, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so help me understand even further what does create two-way conversations, not one-way, one-way lectures mean to you? I actually forgot about that. That makes me so happy. And, and literally, like, I wish after that keynote, I got a text. Someone was mad at me because they spent a week helping me write that keynote and they did it for free. And they were like, I heard you didn't give the keynote. I was like, no, I didn't. And he's like, I love you, man. But geez, don't waste a week next time. I was like, I love you, man. It helped me get there, right? And so two-way conversations. You have to be in a relationship with the people that are paying you money, right? And I'm going to tell you right now, the fastest way to success is to be in this relationship. I watch people spend millions and millions of dollars on customer research when they're sitting right in front of you, right? Like these people want to be in a relationship with you. But no business is predicated on running a shotgun or a broadcast, right? And so everywhere that we go, you don't have a right to somebody's comment. Like I get people butthurt. Well, I have 25,000 followers and, you know, they don't comment. I'm like, well, when did you comment on their stuff? Well, never. I was like, well, who the fuck do you think you are? Right? Like that's not how this works, right? And I was like, but if you keep this in mind that you understand that like everything that's right in front of you, like you probably have an extra 50% of business on the table if you lean into everybody who's paying attention to you, but you have to initiate. And I watched this mistake of people think that marketing is like a broadcast or a dictatorship and it's not. It's just relationships with many people at scale and you create containers to help them do it. But like, I'll give this example. I'll tell all of you right now. The amount of people who call me and they're like, okay, I want to grow my Instagram. And I was like, cool. How many likes you get in? They're like 800 per post. I'm like, cool. How many comments you get? They're like 20. I'm like, cool. So first question, did you respond to the 20? Well, and it's either yes or no. And if it's no, they get it really quick. And I'm like, great, go there. Call me back. Right. And they're like, yes. I'm like, cool. I was like, well, now what do you think? Well, I need to go find more people. I was like, there's 780 people who paid attention to you and yet they haven't commented. What do you think? And so then I'll tell them, click on likes, open their profiles and go comment on all of their stuff, earn the right to be in this relationship. And what happens, and I'm like 100 for 100 with this. I had one company that was getting, I can't say the name, 2.1 million followers, and they were getting about 200 comments per post, but they were getting like 4,000 likes. We did this every day for three weeks, and they were getting five to 6,000 comments a post, and they started going up 100,000 followers a week because everybody was commenting and engaging and sharing it, right? And so you have this ability to be in a relationship and you should because the faster you're in this relationship, the faster your path to success comes. They're gonna tell you what they need. They're gonna tell you what they're struggling with. They're gonna tell you how they feel. They're gonna tell you what moves the needle for them. Plus, these are the people that you want to share your content, to tag their friends. And it all starts by just giving them one ounce of a relationship, letting them feel seen, heard, or respected and the world is the limit. And if you think about your customer, you're probably competing against 10 other people that do similar things in you. Like none of us follow just one supplement company or like one influencer, right? We hoard them. We collect them as we're navigating. But I guarantee you the first one that responds to you 
is the one that you stick with the longest. I didn't realize in the beginning, everyone's chasing money, right? I think we yeah. all started there. And in the beginning, you're just next sale, next sale. How do I get more people? How do I get the next thing? How do I, and it's just not how a long-term business is going to work. Um, you, you have to create those two-way conversations. I, I'm going to struggle getting your words right, but it's something like create uh, long-term two-way value-based relationships. Yeah, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say it for you. And I, I didn't mean to talk over you because I know you edit this out. But um, yeah, I define marketing as a two-way long-term value-based relationship, right? And like, I look at that and like, when I think about, and I'll, oh, this is a bonus one, I don't even talk about, right? Why does that matter? Right. Because if I think about like, if you walk around your house, you can look at products in your house. And in that one moment of looking at that product, you can have a memory of how you feel about that brand. And you'll know if I ever marketed it, told anybody about it, or I'll never use it again. Right. And the only distinction between that feeling is the relationship with the brand. Right. Like, and that all comes from being in a two way relationship. Right. And it doesn't necessarily have to be you. It could be your social media manager. It could be an influencer that promotes your product, but they're all representatives of you. And we look at what we use repeatedly. We'll use an inferior product longer that we have a better relationship with the company than switching to a better product based on that relationship. And so my thought is always, how can I be in a relationship with people, not only online, but in their life? How can I go deeper than just the product, right? Like, you know, even with like pet people, like, you know, this all day, right? Like, it's great. They help their cat, you know, their joints not hurt, whatever. But then when you give them moments and memories and they start to feel it because you, you know, sent them a coloring book or a, you go get a picture of their cat and you send them an Etch-A-Sketch of their cat and they fill it out, they put it on their counter, right? Or you send them a pet portrait of their cat because you get all internet stocky. Every time they look at that picture, they're like, Ben, Ben. Ben, everybody who comes into the house, where'd you get the picture? Oh my God, these people sent me glucosamine for my cats. And they literally, I couldn't figure out why they kept asking for pictures of our pets. And this popped in the mail, a picture of my pet with like this angel halo above it, like whatever you want to do, but you're building relationships with people. And really you're poaching real estate in their world. So they have nothing but positive things to say and do with you. And that can only come from being in a relationship. Cause I'll ask everybody this. When was the last time you're like, oh, that person was an asshole to me or that person ignored me. So go buy their product or go follow them on social media. Or, hey, have you seen this video from this asshole and never responds to my comments? It doesn't work. And so it's a really simple game. So you have to realize the game that you're playing, it's a human game. And so if you play the human game, you can make money and impact and make a whole lot more of both of them. And you touch on something that uh, I geek out on all the time. I call it love your customer. I yeah. built something that uh, someday I hope I can share. Uh, can't legally right now, but like I try to do it for other companies too, of like, how can you love your customer afterwards? Uh, I would have never thought of the one you just said about my pets business, totally stealing that. Uh, that is a genius idea. Uh, all right, move on to the next one. Clearly has its genesis in your military roots. Ensure no one gets left behind. What does that mean when you shift that over to marketing? Yeah. Yeah. So when I think about marketing, right, like this is the every conceivable scenario that I taught you uh, a couple of years ago. Right. And so we think about it, we tend to think in the realm of people who buy. Right. But if statistically speaking, we look at people who buy in the whole grand scheme of things, if a hundred people come into your world in a day, statistically three to six of them buy, which means 94% of people were in the middle of an experience and they didn't complete it. And then what we'll go try to do is find three to six more. Without realizing if we extrapolate that out four years, we created an anti-marketing machine. You do 100 people a day for 30 days, it's 3,000 people. Statistically speaking, if I put all of them in a auditorium and I said, how many of you had a positive interaction with the brand? At most, 600 hands go up. If I say, how many of you had a negative or didn't progress or complete? 2,400 hands go up. That's in one month. 
And so when we don't solve for the customer journeys and we don't solve for the situations and the containers and the journeys that people are on, we end up creating an anti-marketing machine. And so when you combine this with marketing law number one, you just have to know that people are on journeys. Just because somebody says no doesn't mean it's a no forever. It's a no right now. But then what we'll do is we'll ignore them, then retarget them. Hey, you forgot something. Oh, do you want the same thing that you said no to? No. Consent matters in digital marketing. No means fucking no. Let's not try to shove it down their throat, but ask yourself the question like, oh, well, they're not ready to buy right now. Can I put them into a Facebook group? Can I give them a gift? Can I give them a lead magnet? Can I help them? Can I ask them a question? Can I give them a many chat sequence that helps them? And then what we're thinking about is like, what would it look like if every person that came into my world, the only ones that left were the ones that actually wanted to leave? And, and this is new that you haven't even heard from me. There's only four types of customer journeys that you have to solve for. People that buy, people that learn more, people that opt in, and people that leave, right? And so if you think about a website, somebody hits your homepage and they look at it and they're out, that's fine. You've solved that. They're going to see your ad again. They're going to see your content again. And if they want to come back in, they can. You can't get them back. But if somebody hits your homepage and they're like not ready to opt in and not ready to buy, well, they need to be able to learn more. Maybe they'll click on your about page, a blog, a related article, join your Facebook group, Right. Solve for that one. Then there's going to be people that want to opt in. They might see your podcast on Instagram. Like, God, I love this dude. See your Instagram. Be like, ah, you know, I'm not ready to subscribe to the podcast, but I'll follow you on Instagram. Then the journey starts again. And then you have people that buy. But most people only solve for the people that buy without realizing they're leaving 96% of their potential revenue on the table. And all of these people need to know is that when they said no, you didn't leave them. And the amount of customers that I talk to, and Ben knows this, I'll go to clients and I will call their customers. I will call people that abandoned their cart. I will call people that bought products. And they'll literally be like, you know why I stayed? Because when I left, you guys actually followed up and didn't make me feel bad and wrong for not buying. You asked how you could help me. You asked you could do it. She's like, so now I send all my friends. I buy these for my construction workers. Like, It's mind-blowing. But the path to business success is not built on the front. It's all built on the back. And you can't build it on the back if only people that buy get taken care of and dropped in this echo chamber. You have to solve for everybody on the front so you fill the back with relationships and content. So nobody gets left behind. Nobody. And I even do this. Like, you want another one? I love when my competitors don't respond to their comments on social media because I do. I go slide into their DMs for them. I don't care. And I'll be like, don't buy my product, but you bought theirs and you should know how to use it. Here, do this, do this. I'll make content. i be like, hey, listen, I know you're using that product. Keep using it, please. But utilize it with this way so you can make their product more effective. What do you think happens? I'm not posting them, right? I'm doing it. Like if people are out there and these human beings are screaming for help, right? Because we have to remember if they had it figured out, they wouldn't have bought the product in the first place. They would have bought it on Amazon or at their local store right? There's a reason we buy things online. There's a reason we buy things on the platforms we do. Typically, if we have something, we're confident how to use it. We know what we want. We need another one. We'll go to Amazon, right? We'll go to Target. We'll go to Walmart. When we're looking for something outside of the product, like a relationship with the brand, help accomplishing it, doing something else, we'll go to the website or the competitor's website. All these people are screaming, help me, help me, help me. So if you keep this lens in your brain of like, we need to solve for everybody, We need to make sure that no matter what, not just the people that buy, but the other three are taken care of and they're put into a container or put into a world or put into a home or even not retargeted with the same offer. They're like, hey, we know that you were interested, but apparently something was missing. Would you like our five-day guide to detox your pet's diet and increase their joint health? Hey, like we don't even need your email. Just leave us a comment. We'll DM it to you.
you're welcome. I just recovered 10% of your sales. This is one that stuck with me a lot of like, you know, I come from a, a high ticket e-commerce world where conversion rates are under 1%, right? And that means 99 people are coming to your website, raising their hands saying, I have a need for this. Uh, I have a problem you need to solve and you're not solving it because all you're doing is like buy my shit, right? So uh, in the standing desk world, people are coming, they might be searching standing desk. Are they ready to buy a standing desk when they go search standing desk? Probably not. Uh, but are they interested? Uh, yes. And so how can we, like I, I literally built something called remarketing essentials off of this law that you created of like, how can we go solve their problems? Like, yeah. do they have neck pain? Are they slouching? Do their hips yeah. hurt? Are they tired, exhausted all day long? Like all of these are problems we could go solve for them and we don't need to sell a standing desk to do so they could clean up their diet they could do certain stretches they could get our ebook on on the yoga they need to do uh for their posture there's a million things that we can do for them and and continue hitting touch points and solving problems and and ensuring they don't get left behind because they still have a problem they raise their hand they're saying i have a problem they might not need to buy a standing desk today or it's 700 or, or two grand for a treadmill desk and they're like yeah you know i'm not i'm not sure i'm there yet so give them some small wins yeah. uh relieve some of their pain and then they'll probably become want to do more with you uh, i love that one uh i know we're running short on time here so i'm gonna keep moving if it can be personal it must be is the final one what does that mean to you george yeah yeah so you know i think so let me tell you what it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you have to have every customer's phone number and they can text you every time right what it means to me is that you have to remember that on the other side of everything you do is a human a mother a father a brother a sister a wife a friend including you right and it only takes about 10 seconds to be intentional about not being robotic, right? So speaking to them, like being humorous, creating a container that like makes them feel safe, like responding to comments, like at every moment, you, your team, everybody that works on your thing has to remember that your business only succeeds based on the people on the other side being in a deep relationship with you. And so people need to feel seen, heard, and respected. So if it can be personal, it must be. Like, I get that you can send, um, you know, I, I get that you can send a gift in the mail, right? But can you send a, a handwritten card in your shipping department? Can you pre-fill out, you know, a hundred of them and just have them write their name on the top? Like that's personalization. That's a massive hack. Ben will teach you this stuff all day, loving your customers. It wins every time. But then even there, like if you're responding on social media, instead of copying and pasting, can you write their name in and one thing about them that only takes three seconds, right? Can you share a memory? Can you make it personal? When you're responding to their email, instead of giving them the response that you know they need, can you click through to their account and thank you for buying from you five times in a row already? Like, can you give context in a relationship that helps people feel like they're important, that feel loved, that feel seen, heard, and respected? And so I always challenge my team and my clients to be like, hey, can we personalize this? And it does, sometimes it's crazy. Like, sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, we'll just put a picture of the team in the email or, you know, we'll text them or we'll send them a bonjour or we'll put a handwritten note in the box or, you know, like some of my favorite ones, like when I teach customer service teams, like how to win, like and really, really win, especially angry customers, like they're in chats or emails. I'm like, hey, go stalk them online. Take 10 seconds and find something about them. And then respond with something personal about them to show that they're not just a number in the inbox. And these people are like, I'm so sorry. I was mad at you. Like, I can't believe you know where I live or that my dog's name was Fluffy or that I love, you know, coffee. And I was like, the amount of times I've been in customer service issues where I'm like, hey, we'll refund your product. And, you know, we know you love large Americanos from Starbucks. Where can we send the gift card? And they're like, no, 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 no. Don't give me my money back. I'm so sorry. Like, we're surrounded by human beings. And these human beings are the ones that actually make our business run. Like our business is a body, but our customers are the blood that pumps through it and it doesn't work without them. 
And we need to make sure that we're supporting them the best way that we can. And so I just challenge people, ask yourself, like, use design thinking. What might it look like if it was more personal? What might it look like if we connected more? What might it look like if they felt this way? And it doesn't mean you have to send a personalized email or a handwritten note that's customized for each one. It's giving the feeling of personalization. It could be the box. It could be the ad. It could be the, you know, whatever. Like one of my favorite hacks ever, still my best, one of my best ad campaigns to date is I had the founder of a company record a video on Facebook that said, I just wanted to wish you a happy birthday. From me, the founder of this company, I think it's important for you to feel acknowledged. And whether you work with us or not, I just wanted to say happy birthday. We ran that ad to all of our competitors for three years. That thing converted at like 20x ROAS nonstop for three years. And all we did was take the time to personalize it. And on Facebook, you can target somebody or you used to be able to target somebody within a week of their birthday. And so like some other ones, right? Like you think about all your customers, like think about how many people like in standing desk world, right? Like I bought a desk, spent over $2,000, right? You know when they bought. You can outport an email list of people that bought over a year ago that literally bought and use the product and you can create one ad that'll cost you three pennies on the person to just check in with them and be like, hey, I just want you to know that we still think about you. You need any help with you know, your desk, how it's working, how we can better serve you. Just drop us a DM, but we just want to say thank you and let you know that we're still here. Like all of these things, personalized things, and they change, they change the direction of the business at a massive, almost immeasurable scale. Again, almost everyone I work with is worried about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And, and this is playing the long game. This is mm-hmm. going deeper. Uh, and, and again, you could probably go on forever about if it can be personal. I've seen you do it in like everyone's business in a room. So like back to the mastermind. Uh, number one, thank you for all those laws. Uh, uh, th- those are incredible. I- I'm glad you explained them. But back to the mastermind, like uh, you did some things for the for for me there that I want to say thank you for, and then really yeah. a- ask you a question of what this looks like during COVID. So like uh, you asked me to present on SEO. Uh, I did 30 very rushed minutes on schema <laughs> markup and structure. Uh, I definitely needed to learn that less is more when giving a presentation because the whole room just stared at me like what. Um, they were blown away, but they were like, what, how do I even do this? And yeah. so, um, you asked me on the last day to sit down with everybody individually for 30 minutes. And then you challenged me. You said, when you ultimately get asked, uh, to come work for them, raise your prices. So I was charging a hundred dollars an hour at the time. You challenged me to ask for $500 an hour. I've literally gotten zero no's since you told me to raise that price. Since then I've raised my prices again, still haven't got a no. Uh, and I'm considering, uh, actually I know I am, uh, my wife's on my case about it to raise my prices again for 2021. Um, and I just want to thank you for that. Like I didn't yeah. know my own worth. I, m- most of my journey through your mastermind, through Elliot's mastermind is, is being around people who see in me what I don't always see in myself. Um, I don't think I'm there yet. I'm close. Uh, I'm way closer than I was two years ago when I met you. And, and so I just wanted to thank you for that. But what does the mastermind look like now during COVID? Uh, for anybody that's listening to this, it's like, man, this George guy is pretty fucking smart. I need to, I need to get around George. What does it even look like during COVID? Yeah. So it's actually amazing. So um, we did a big shift because of COVID, right? We, we felt this and all of it here. And so we shifted um, so now it's a little different than even when you were in. So here's the one thing that I want to say, and this is important. And this is important for you, man. Like you've been a gift to my life since the day that I met you. And I've, I've seen you since day one. I remember you. Um, you were even wearing one of you know, that company's shirts that can't be named when I met you. And I remember it. Uh, and then you sent me a, a, a collared shirt that was like 10 times too big. And I still have it because um, I keep it. But one of the things that's really important to remember is everybody listening to this, like the, the whole game is that you are the person. Like it's your game. 
It's your world. Like my, my mission is to help you win gold so I can bask in your glory, not you bask in mine. Like I don't have anybody answers, right? Like I have team and that's how I look at the mastermind. The mastermind is a team. It's a team of people that are just as committed to your success as you are. And when you're struggling and off, hold you to your success and can be that team to be there. Be like, Hey, you have to keep running, but you can put your hand on my shoulder. Right? Like you have to keep running, but I'm going to give you some water. Like you have to keep running, but we need to recover at the end of this. And it's having the right people in your corner that help you move the needle. And if you haven't got this from this yet, this podcast, the secret to success is not in the strategies and tactics. The secret of success is in the player that executes the strategies and tactics or executes the principles. And that's what we help people with. And so now we do a call every week. Everybody has an accountability partner. Then we have an accountability group. And then we have the big group. And then we write contracts every six months for what we want to accomplish personally, professionally, in our lighthouse goal and in our community. And we make daily commitments to these things and we work on them together. And then once every six months, we get together for four, four days like you and I have done together and, uh, and we rock it. And it's for anybody. Like I'm going to tell you right now, like I say anybody in bed knows, you even alluded to it. You're like, how did you get all these people in the room? And I get these people in the room because I focus on people because people are the secret. People are the ones running the businesses. People are the ones making the decisions. And if we work on the people, like if I tune your race car, it might win on an NASCAR track for sure, but I guarantee you it's also going to win in a street race. It's going to win against a Honda Accord, a sedan, and anywhere else you put it because you tuned the race car. You didn't necessarily make it just for that one place. And that's what we help people with, right? And so when you have this foundation of, I'm the athlete. This is the best way to get here. These are my goals. And this is how I know I'm going to achieve them. And you have the people to support you. We help you navigate blind spots. Plus we give you rocket fuel, right? Customer journey, rocket fuel, marketing, rocket fuel, business, culture, all of it. But the foundation is you. And that's what's so important to me because I, I can't stand, you know me, I'll vent about this all day, but I've been really good. I've only sworn like three times. Um, I will Swear vent away, all, man. I know, but I will vent all day about the people that convince you that you're broken and they have your answer. Run as far away as possible. Those are the creepy fucking dudes in the van trying to give you candy. Nobody has your answer. They can have your support. They can have your team, but ultimately it's you. You have to run the race and nobody can run it for you. And I'm telling you right now, if you want a, a gauge, a barometer for like who you should work with, the moment they start telling you that they're your answer, that if you follow their system, that if you do it just like they did, that you're going to win, you need to run the other way because you're the answer and you need people that bring out the best in you and help you run your best race. And that's what we do. And so if you're doing quite frankly, you know, a hundred grand and up and Ben, Ben knows Ben's like, how do you get somebody in the room doing a hundred million next to somebody doing like 500,000? Like we play with people, then you belong and you belong with the right people because we all get this at the same day. And at the end of the day, my headstone is not going to have my ROAS, my email open rates or anything that I think I would want it to when I focus on business. It's going to have the impact I made in the relationships that we had. And, and that's what we do. And so it's all about helping you win gold in your life. And so that's, that's what we do in the mastermind. And there's a lot of people here who aren't ready to buy into your mastermind. And so where can they go get the next touch point with you, George Bryant? I am going to go get you addicted to my brain because at this point you either think it belongs in a straight jacket or you like the flavor, which is actually why I named the podcast The Mind of George Show because it's mine. It's unleashed. And so everything I do make it easy for you. And by the way, I talked about four customer journeys. Just as a bonus, uh, I do this anyways. If you go to mindofgeorge.com, I teach you in the video on the homepage, the four customer journeys that I tell you what to click to pick your journey. But my commitment to you, my team's commitment to you is that we help you 
ethically build and scale your business if we can. And if not, I point you in the direction of somebody who can, but there's plenty for your flavor. The podcast is there. There's free videos is there. There's free trainings that are there. And we have a free Facebook group and it's all linked at that one place since you're listening. So just remember the jingle www.mindofgeorge.com. And if you can't remember, remember the straight jacket joke because it's my mind that belongs in a straight jacket, but it's on the website. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Uh, I think everybody listening to this needs to go to mindofgeorge.com immediately and at least join his Facebook group and listen to his podcast. You won't regret it. Yeah, man. I got to have you on mine too. We got to do this business idea thing and break it down. We either got to do round two or I'm going to do it on mine. I'm like, let's just break down all these ideas and all the crazy ways to do them. Well, we're out of time. I want to ask you a million more questions, but uh, we'll do it uh, again. We'll We'll round to it. Well, I hope you were able to take some notes during that episode. George's seven laws of marketing are something he and I agree deeply on. Uh, they're, they're the foundation with which you should build your business. Whether you own a pizza shop in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin, an e-commerce business of any size, an agency, or any business, all of those seven laws can be applied to your business, and they should be. I use them with my consulting clients. It's something I truly, truly believe in, and so meeting George was somewhat fortuitous, uh, just coming together and, and building my knowledge alongside of all the things he taught me really, really amplified my life in the last couple of years. And so I can't recommend George enough. He'll definitely be back on the show. If you want to check out some of the things he's doing, go to mindofgeorge.com. You'll find all of his offers and his podcasts and his Facebook group over there. And I would definitely recommend at a minimum, go download his podcast. I know you're going to like it. I know you're going to like listen to the way George describes marketing. Uh, I think you're going to love it. Uh, So I appreciate George coming on the show. If you guys are looking to work with me, you can head to benkenegendorf.com. Recently redone by recent guest Leanna Patch. Uh, If anything, you'll get a little chuckle of the copy on the website. But if any of you are looking to work with me, uh, you can find all of that information on my website as well. Uh, Mindofgeorge.com, benkenegendorf.com. Both of those links will be in the show notes. Thanks so much for coming on, George. And I will see all of you next Wednesday.